This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Testing, one, two, three. Well, what a wonderful day to see you. My name is Crank, and you can call me Lord Crank. So first things first, Jeremy, Randy, and Jack, stop picking your nose. Jack, wake up. Let's sleep. <laughs> I just want to recommend the Candem Podcast to everyone. Why? Because it stars me. Me! <laughs> oh, my stomach hurts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And boy, have we got a good episode for you today. Another voice acting legend joins us, gentlemen. Uh, Pat Fraley, producer, actor, author, and voice actor teacher. This guy has been the voice of just a few. I mean, like Rob Paulson, like any of these other guys, that IMDb page goes on and oh, on yes, and on and on. But some of the ones that jumped out to me... Denver, the last dinosaur. You yeah. guys remember Denver? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, Barbecue and Ace from GI Joe. Uh, he was Buzz Lightyear in like a Buzz in uh, like Toy Story games, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was even in Toy Story too as some of the additional buzzes in the toy store mm-hmm. and some <laughs> of the Toy Story uh, like side films. Uh, Batmite in Batman the animated series. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, Brave Star. Brave Star. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I, I didn't have that on my list. How did I not have that written down? <laughs> But um, the ones that obviously are going to stand out to me the most are the fact that he was Slash, Casey Jones, Baxter Stockman, and Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Holy crap. You know, up until like a month ago, I didn't have really any Krangs in my life. Now, because through from Christmas, <laughs> yes, Randy yes. got me the old Krang body. I just recently acquired the NECA Krang body, and now Krang's been on the show. Krang overload now. Yeah, Too much. You're going to have to get a Krang. and brains. <laughs> Too bad I can't use any of them. Yeah. <laughs> but before we cut over to our conversation with Pat, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandarePod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you head over to Patreon.com and just search Candare Podcast or go to our website, CandarePodcast.com, and hit that Patreon button, there's ways where you can, for a little bit of change a month, what, like $5 a month? Oh, what yeah. is that? Come on, that's nothing. Especially that's for nothing. the amount of content you're going to get. 
Right. There's already about 40 episodes of the Candare Patreon pod on there, which is kind of a more relaxed show than this, I would say. Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, yeah. kind of shooting the shit. Sometimes, I mean, those shows, you're going to hear what's coming on the regular show long before the normies do, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and find out more about your hosts. There you go. And then at $10 a month, <laughs> at $10 a month, not only do you get that privilege, but then you get uh, special projects we've worked on, like radio theater stuff. Uh, the Comic Vault show, which is now going to only be there. And I'm going to start releasing our backed episodes that have been pulled from our catalog for a long Ooh, time. <laughs> yeah, so like the pilot, or not even the pilot, episode zero. Yeah. The, the test episode that we got together and did uh, just to see if this was going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then episodes one through 25 will be going up as well. So and, a lot of content. And that's big because I'm on the fucking show and I haven't even heard that shit. No, so. Randy had no one's heard it. It's been, I pulled it off a long time ago. So that sounded gross. But <laughs> <laughs> what am I forgetting, guys? Your boys are now proud members of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. Be sure to check us out on there. Looking forward to all the amazing things that are going to come with that. Networking with some great shows. I mean, it's yeah. just all around good. We're a part of a big uh, professional-looking podcast family now, and yes. it feels pretty damn good, doesn't it? They let us in the right. door. They let us in. I don't know how we got in, but um, we got in there, didn't we? Yeah, we, we so, did. Very proud to be uh, with them. So, anything else before we move on, guys? Let's Get to the meat and potatoes of let's this. Do here? it. That's it. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, let's just cut right over to our conversation with Pat Fraley. Pat, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on the show to talk with us tonight. Any of our listeners know how influential the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have been on this group of people right here. Testing, one, two, three. Oh, hello, Jeremy. This is Lloyd Craig. I'm taking over the world. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the show, I think. Thank here. you, ladies and gentlemen. Nice talking to you. <laughs> no, it's just an honor to have you here. Uh, you're one of the people we've wanted to get on here for some time, and now to have you here is quite an honor. So let, I just want to go back to the beginning and kind of uh, ask where, you, where your career in voice acting starts, because looking online, it seems like this wasn't originally something uh, you were interested in, correct? No, I was a failure in theater. In Australia, I went in to do, you know, a commercial while I was doing Shakespeare. And uh, I'd gone through six years of college with an MFA from Cornell. And I got in there and did some kind of, you know, Jimmy gave me rat talk. You know, and I, I was walking out of the studio and they went, oh, we like you. And I went, why? Oh, you're so big. We can't get the other actors to be that big. Well, then I knew. I went, okay, I don't care what it is. And in about two years or so, I was at Hanna-Barbera doing cartoon voices. So that's how I got into voiceover. And, you know, they weren't dying for my Ibsen, you know. If I did Chekhov, the pilot light went out. I wasn't that good. But it was the only way I could be a performer. In those days, there were no improv schools or uh, stand-up comedian. I wanted to be a stand-up for a while. There was nothing to study. You couldn't study. Only theater for a tall reasonably good looking white guy. And the reason I say that is because I can't take any credit for anything. I mean, I have friends that are of color that bled to get in the business. Me, I was jumping in the, you know, high dive into the water, getting in the shallow end in another pool. 
it was so, uh, God made it so easy for me because my parents, my mom was funny and I've always been funny. My dad had a work ethic and somewhere in there, I got a little charm. People liked me. And so I got a career. But it started when I was four years old. Four. I was the guy that all the kids, I'd play Army. You know, in those days, yeah, they did Cowboys and Indians. And I got to tell you this before I go further. I was listening to a, a Walter Longmire mystery, Longmire. Okay. And uh, somebody, he calls uh, Indians, uh, Native Americans, Indians. And he was saying, my friend, Indian, you know, and he goes, well, shouldn't you say Native American? He says, well, I don't because a lot of Indians don't want to be refer be associated with America. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> Never thought of that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, or we play army. And that was always like, because uh, I grew up in the 50s, not when I was little. Sure. And it was always like uh, GIs and Nazis, you know. And so they loved me to play because I died so well. <laughs> <laughs> I never said, just crease me and try to shoot him back. I fell on the ground, rolled around, arched my back, you know, dead. Oh, yeah. And oh, they, got into and, it. And they loved it. But And then I would say, okay, here's how you do it. You arch your back and foam from your mouth a little bit and say something like, ach, van lieber, or ach, van himla. And they <laughs> told me, imagine, uh, you guys, four years old, and I'm performing and teaching. I was, always trying I, to not get shot. Huh? I was always trying not to get shot when I was playing army when I was little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most kids were, see. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Somehow early on, I learned that getting shot was really a good thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sounds playing fun too. When you get to be that, that like, dramatic with it. Like crank, you know, Oh, I had a wonderful time. I sat next to Rob Paulson for nine years and our whole objective was to amuse each other. <laughs> we never had scenes together but he'd take my script and put his ad lib for me down in my script and vice versa and i did hundreds of shows with rob i still call him young rob because i'm 72 and i think he's like 62 or something brad garrett <laughs> oh and i God, the comedian yeah. call him young rob <laughs> old guy right but uh, that's how it happened i just wanted to perform i didn't care Right. You know, uh, how, when, or what I did. What's so amazing is, uh, you know, about your start in the voice acting business is that you started at Hanna-Barbera. Now, I, you know, so many people, I think, who would be aspiring for this kind of a job work up to that. And that's where you were starting. I can't imagine yeah. the wealth of knowledge and uh, talent you were around all the time. Well, you know, there I was around like Carol Channing, John Aston. You know, Edie McClure, Rob Pulse, and Don Messick, Dawes Butler. Those are the luminaries from the old days. June Foray. Sure. Um, because I hit the tail end of the Hanna-Barbera era. Hmm. Because when I get this, um, I'm 30 years old. I walk in for my first job. I'll tell you how I got that, too. It's hilarious. And uh, I hear a couple of voices now. Cut to me in 1958 when I was nine years old watching the Rough and Ready show which was Dawes Butler and Don Messick. They did a lot of the cartoons, and they'd, they'd call in a luminary female like June Foray or Joni Gerber, right? But it was those two guys. I come in, and I am going to do a Scooby-Doo, my first offering, uh, a guest roles, and I hear those guys, oh. and it's a freak out, just like it is for you, Jeremy and Jack, when I do Crank. Right. I mean, you, how old were you when I 
did Teenage Mutant in 89? 89. I was uh, eight years old. Yeah. yeah was well, see, exactly the same. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing where you go, is that the guy, the voice? Well, I was the same way. Now, how did I got the job? I was in Tahiti with my uh, wife, and uh, it was around Christmas, right? And uh, I get to know this guy named Don Jurich, who is a producer at Hanna-Barbera. So I don't do anything wow. for a while. But then, of course, I slip into Paul and, hi, hell, Bonke. How you doing? <laughs> I, <laughs> and he goes, look, if you don't do anything, I'll listen to your demo. <laughs> So, <laughs> I went to LA from Seattle. I was living in Seattle. I had my demo, and he oh, he told me on the phone, oh, "Okay, you're you're really good. If you were here, I'd audition you." Where oh, two weeks later, I get married. Arrive. Oh, by the way, I wasn't married when I first met him. Arrive, and I'm there. And, and later he said, I felt so guilty. This kid brought his new bride down that I hired him. <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning. And then I hit the beginning. That was 1979. 83 was the first time I had a regular role. Then wow. it all flourished. You talk about the golden age of radio. Forget radio. We were making, you know, a quarter of a million, 300,000 a year doing cartoon shows. Yeah. Because it went from 12 episodes a year, and it was Saturday Saturday morning, mm -hmm. right. to a buy of 65. Why? Because He-Man, in about 83, just killed them with numbers because it went from Saturday morning to Monday through Friday after school. So the buy went way up and we had so much work. And it was like, uh, you call them, go, hello, hi, I, you're hired. You know, it was like, <laughs> and we were doing four shows a day. You know, uh, you talk about Orson Welles in the old days in radio being taken from a radio show by an ambulance to another studio because they had to get him over there. Oh, that was nothing. <laughs> wow. Neil Ross, who I knew had nine shows at the same time. Holy Good cow. God. Yeah, I believe nine, it. nine different series at the same time. And wow. we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we, he had a little cassette player and he'd go, well, What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that voice. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> How would you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you which get one? Oh, this is the wrong one. Sorry. Jack, you can't be that smart. <laughs> you know, a little stupid because if they said, Okay, do Frankenstein, only you're a mattress and a donkey, I go, Okay. I had no problem. You never heard, well, why? Or what's my motivation? You never heard that from us or certainly from me. I just did it. Sure. I sure. Threw my, like Rob. Rob throws himself in two spots he does. He's just gone. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And, uh, and I think a lot of the people that were very good, Michael Bell, and certainly Frank Welker, sure. and, uh, they just throw themselves in. Whereas Ed Grumpy Asner, my next door neighbor when I was a kid. Oh, he's always like, okay, well, I gotta think about this. Think you're Russian, you're an old Jew. <laughs> the stories you you could tell, my god. Oh, I no, mean, I've I heard do. some of them, but uh, holy cow, the, the company you keep just oh man, I would love to read that that book from you. Well, I'm I'm gonna write it, but I'm I'm Irish, so talking is easy, writing is painful. <laughs> 
I, I grew up with the Turtles as well. And also there was a X-Men pilot episode called Pride of the X-Men that I yes. grew up on. And you did Pyro in that. Yes. Uh, was that your first time kind of doing more, an Australian role? That yeah, mainstream? because I never did Australian dialect when I was in Australia. They, they you know, they sniff it out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> might, you know, I'll do it anytime. It didn't matter to me. I don't, I, you know, I'll do it all the time, but not there. And it was the first time I did it, probably the only time I ever did it in my career. And I'm talking to Randy right now. Um, so Pyro, it, it was great. Oppenheimer was the guy in the wheelchair. Mm, professor X. Professor yeah. X. Oh, it was, it was loaded with stars. What they do, they took our auditions or the pilot, mm-hmm. and they sent it to Toronto or BC and did it in Canada. That was the only taste we got. Wow. Yeah. And it was like you said, there were so many amazing actors, including yourself. Neil Ross was in there. Uh, yes. Michael Bell, just everybody. Wow. Yeah. Michael Sorry. Bell owned Hanna-Barbera in character voice when I was uh, first in town in the late 70s. Unbelievable. Neil Ross and I have a very similar vocal quality, and he had a lot of work. And I've got a funny story about Neil Ross and I getting cast in the Centurions. Okay. There's a story about with Vince Edwards, who was Ben Casey back in the day. You want me to tell it now? or Yeah, go sure. for it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, so I'm in G.I. Joe with Neil Ross. I look at the paper and I hear B.J. Ward. Uh, somebody says, how's Ace doing? He was a sky rider. He was a, uh, a jet plane operator, right? Right. Ace. And I heard another actor do the line, he didn't come back. And I'm like, what? And I kept looking through the script. Oh, I died. They didn't even tell me. And so <laughs> wow. I'm up in Seattle and I get uh, an audition for this character called Ace. Well, I think, well, they killed off my character. I might as well do Ace's voice, which is like me, only the sarcastic, right? Okay. At the same time, Neil Ross is down in LA, gets the audition and sees Ace. And he says, well, they killed off Fraley. I'll use his voice. so we both get cast and i get a call from michael hack the producer saying hey one of you guys has got to go i went why well you sound the same and and we're talking 100 grand 65 episodes they paid out the residuals 100 grand i went okay well let me call you back and i called neil said get to my office right now i said neil somebody's gonna go up and somebody's gotta go down and he's a little higher than I, so he, I mean, I'll go up. And so I went down to the basement. I mean, that was really as low as I could go. And I made, I had the good fortune of going to the producer and going into the control room and going, Michael, I'm in the basement. I can't go any further down. That poor Neil Ross got one note over and over again for all 65 shows. Neil, higher. <laughs> he was like Barney Fife. <laughs> he was a hero, but and I was down here, you know. But that's the funny that story. That is so funny. Wow. Oh. That is interesting. I haven't heard that one. That I'm gonna before. have to watch rewatch Centurions now for yeah. that. Oh my well, god! If you bring it up to Neil, he'll he'll you'll hear his eyes roll. <laughs> <laughs> 
start laughing, call him out. Yeah, Pat said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go have some stuff to say. <laughs> so the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I, You know, we've had, what, Renee Jacobs, Townsend, Coleman on. Rob. Uh, Rob. A lot of people from the show. And one thing I like to ask all of them, and I always love the answers, is what was your first impression of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles having never seen them? And then second, right after realizing what they were, what was your impression of realizing you're playing a talking brain? Okay, well, first of all, uh, I, I was re- I recast Crank. Stu Rosen, who's a director, did two things wrong because the producer was Fred Wolf and he was a uh, thrifty, shall we call it thrifty? We had no guests, you know, it was like, yeah. So, Stu recorded it on a weekend, which is more money, and gave himself four major roles. Krang, Byrne, Baxter, and Vernon. Vernon, you remember the... Oh, yeah. Jacobs, which was done brilliantly. The only guy that got laughs through the the nine years. (laughs) Okay. I get called in, and I look at the script, and it says, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm thinking, well, what a stupid title. I don't know if Right, because we did a lot of pilots that went nowhere, sure. and uh, then I thought, and he goes, "For ready, Pat." I'm like, "Give me a couple minutes." Well, I just threw together because you don't have in your little repertory company a burbling blob of a brain, but exactly. funny. Yeah. Right. So I went through my technique real fast and came up with this kind of brain, and I was going where, and he was like discussing. So I'd have well. Like he was burping. Right. I thought, well, they'll never let me do that between lines. So I'll use this trick, which I learned in the fourth grade recess. Talking backwards. <laughs> I never knew what I was doing, but I got, uh, you're such an idiot. Right? Oh. I could do it. So I went in there, did it, got the role, and we all made a million bucks. I mean, we just like cleaned up. Sure. It was, a, it was probably the most successful commercial venture I ever was in. It was the only time, really, that I was genuinely, uh, well, it's on Wikipedia, you know, known as Krang, you know, that, that's how you <laughs> die. It's like, it's like a, a suit of mine, Nancy Cartwright, who does Bart. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what she did, and she was brilliant before, during, after everything. It'll always be Bart mm. from Simpson. That's yeah. what, you know, hey, you can't legislate what they'll put in your grave right sure. that's what we got now uh after i started doing it the first year was a lot of ad libs oh they let us ad lib like crazy then it became this huge success and oh my goodness they'd only take one out of three or four it's like union arbitration to get an ad lib through because rob and i love to ad lib right. as a matter of fact i'll tell you this uh, we, as I mentioned, we exchanged ad libs. We'd write them down for each other because we got bored and we thought it was funny. So I had a, f- a line like, "How would you like to be boiled in oil?" And he gave me an ad lib, and I said it, and it went through. And here's what it was: "How would you like to be sauteed in oil with just a touch of cilantro?" which is so rob right yeah oh yes we did bobby's world together with harvey mandel oh my god yes and it was the most delightful experience i had i've had in like 40 
45 years of doing cartoons. We we were playing Meeker and Smurf, the same character. I was, um, no. I was Meeker. And I was fat, and he was skinny, and he had this voice. I said, well, I can't see you. I get confused now. Meeker and Smurf. Didn't know they were the same character. They loved each other. I go, you know, everyone's got a hero in your mind. And Robin go, hold me. You know. <laughs> so so we get the lines and we realize we have the wrong scripts or we got the our ad libs in the wrong pages. So I write down his ad libs, rip it out of a page, because I forgot one. And I'll hand it through Tino and Sanan, Gail, Matthias, all these wonderful Frank Welker, who couldn't oh, stop wow. crying when he got the note because I, I passed it on, right? And the, the message was. The, here's Rob's ad libs because I've written them. And it was like this moment of what an insane work when you can write ad libs down for another actor. Yeah. It didn't yeah. matter. But we'd worked nine years together, or during that time we did Bobby's World too, but we didn't care. Yeah. We, it's, just, it's like all in the family where I apparently was the only time art was. Uh, uh, by communism everybody worked in everything it didn't matter who did you know like the actors were making up lines and giving them to the writers the writers are going hey why don't you do this line now give that to you know carol you know it was like that it was a joy and so insane yeah i mean i was going to say had to be so much fun and then it hardly ceases to almost be work at that point right no, I think performers honestly just do it because they love to perform. They'll yeah. work for a nickel. They'll work for a thousand bucks. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, sometimes, um, you know, my my dear friends and close friends are Ed, Ed Asner and Brad Garrett, the actor, comedian. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, a couple other ones, but I can't remember. But anyway, we never talk about money. Brad Garrett could be bankrupt tomorrow and I wouldn't blink an eye. Is <laughs> he <laughs> worth 15 or 25 million or nothing? Same with Ed. I don't know what I how's the kids? Where's the where's the dog? The dog dead? You, did you, <laughs> you didn't. Come on out, let's have one. You know, <laughs> it, we never talk about it. We just have, eat or talk or I tease Ed because he's so mean to me around other people. And then he kisses me on the lips, big Jewish kiss, but we're good together, aren't we? Yeah, like Evan Costello. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but the only way I get him is saying, oh, I call him and I go, oh, shoot, I thought I'd talk to Eliza. That's his daughter who takes care of him. And he goes, well, you, you know, they're getting that. It's the only way I can get him. <laughs> <laughs> So that kind of brings up another question I have. Um, I just, you know, you got you and uh, Brad Garrett being good friends. Has there ever been a time, whether it just be between the two of you having fun or when you guys are on the stage, you know, maybe doing one of your, uh, you know, voice acting uh, seminar things where you guys uh, have a Krang off, so to speak, where you guys do both your different Krang impressions for each other? Or? I got to tell you, honestly, Jeremy, we've never talked about it. Seriously. Really? No, it's so weird. I'm Roseanne Barr and Brad Garrett. I've never said you took my role or I used to do that. I don't think we've ever talked about it. Yeah, he teaches with me too. He won't take my money and he won't <laughs> let me pick up any tab at a restaurant. Even if I give him the card before we eat, uh, they bring it back and go, it was taken care of. 
I go, oh, wow. <laughs> and he won't cash my checks. I got checks that I gave him. And he goes, no, kid, you keep it. So I don't know. He's either generous and broke or generous and rich. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so uh, funny to read that online, you know, because that was one of the questions I was going to have. You know, what was your portrayal? What would what'd you think of Brad Garrett's uh, role as Krang? But then to find out you guys were such, you know, good friends, like, well, of course, this had to have come up. But now even more so to find that you've never talked it's, about it. It's strange. I must bring it up. I, but you know what the whole thing is? Oh, I brought it up with Townsend Cohen, by the way. Because I used to go to Hawaii and record my lines from Hawaii, in Kauai, on, uh, on the island of Kauai. Is that right? Yeah. i go to a studio and they'd record me wild. Fine. Well, Fred Wolf, I mentioned he was, you know, inexpensive. Yeah. <laughs> said, well, we got to replace him. He's gone. So Townsend, and he just rolls his eyes. He's so embarrassed. He said, well, I can do him. And he did a couple shows as Crank. And so really? I tease him to death on, oh, yeah, you're the guy that replaced me when I was taking <laughs> the boys <laughs> to Hawaii, as I usually do. Oh, killed him. But um, uh, we don't, but I, but I must bring it up. But, you know, when I heard that he did Krang, and I heard somewhere along, I, I was delighted. Sure. And the reason why is, and it's like people that, sorry, that do uh, Daffy Duck, uh, Billy West does... Uh, some of them, you know, I, I don't know if he does Daffy Duck, but he just, you know, it takes several people to fill up Mel Blanc's roles. Mm -hmm. Well, I knew Mel Blanc, but I got him in the grumpy years because, mm -hmm. you know, he was still grumpy because he didn't get residuals until 1960. Oh, wow. oh my what God. What they offered him, yeah, what they offered him was vocal characterizations by Mel Blanc. When, in fact, he didn't do them. I mean, he did, did some, but there were other people involved. But... He didn't get money. And so, no, but I never talked to him about oh, Bugs Bunny and this and that, you know. But uh, the, the whole idea of someone imitating what you create is uh, an homage. It's really flattering. Right. It was for me. Of course, he's changed. Michael Bay, who did the movies, hated my crank. Because my crank was kind of funny and, you know, if you take all this, so this is what I got for surrounding myself with. Idiots. If I scrape all it up, so this is what I get for surrounding myself with idiots. I'm a yeah. Jewish mother. <laughs> 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 because nobody will ever get it. And he's funny. Right. You know, in fact, he used to always in every script that was in, he'd start to fail and he'd go, he'd go, You'd say, finally, I rule the universe. My next line was, oh, no. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. But I played him like he knew he was a loser underneath. So I go, finally, I rule the universe. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew oh. it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get away with that because it wasn't an ad lib; it was an acting thing. Right, right. Yeah, that is incredible. I can never get tired of hearing these yeah. stories, man. This is awesome. By the way, the director never knew I was talking backwards. Sue Blue would say, "Don't go low there." That's all she knew. So she didn't go, "Don't talk backwards." You know, she just didn't know. The entire nine years. 
Well, I was going to ask you that a little earlier, but I think you already answered the question. Just, uh, I guess the question was uh, if you had any instruction to do that, but clearly you didn't. Uh, so, man, it's mind blowing because you don't see. I mean, maybe there are voice actors who are using that similar kind of technique, but I am hard pressed to think of any. I don't Usually, think it's that easy to do. No. Well, you you know, like I remember auditioning for uh, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yeah. And Rob Paulson got it. Now, it was called Stupid Mouse, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody played him stu- too stupid, right? But he brought his London, you know, like rock and roll star voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, yeah, I don't. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Piggy? Yes, but I don't think Florence Henderson wears cocoa boots. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing a London character, and he right. got hired. You had to bring something to the party and uh, a brilliant choice. But that's one of those things where you don't have a lot of notes when you come in because you have to come in with a evocative, unique and developed character because you hit the right. ground running. You don't have time to get better. Oh, yeah, I got better because the writers started writing more like Crank Thought mm, or a sure. character. In fact, uh, one of the series I love because, uh, and I'll tell you why, is Tailspin. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. played Wildcat, the ignorant but lovable mountain lion, or sidekick to Baloo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We couldn't cast it. They had everybody coming in, and he's prognathic with a big jaw, and they were playing him stupid, you know? It wasn't working. Well, I grew up around the deaf because my grandfather taught the deaf all his life. And there was this kind of naivete that I picked up on. Instead of saying, you know, it was like, instead of a blue, it's just a ranger banana. I go, oh, this is a rancher banana. Oh, look, there's a new island on the map. No, it's guacamole. <laughs> <laughs> it was innocent. And they, they hired me for it. Years later, one of the three of my favorite roles that was Crane for money, and this one was for heart, I guess. I got a, uh, I got a, uh, a message from, or a, I talked to a psychologist in New York who had an autistic child and said, would you mind if I put her on to you? And I'm like, no. And I have a relationship with her to this day, 10 years later. Wow. Because she awesome. loved it. I'll tell you why. She went to school on a bus. It was public schools. They had, uh, you know, they had the resources for autism and in those days, right? And they get humiliated all day long and teased. Then they'd come home, turn on the TV, and they'd see Wildcat, who they thought of was challenged, and everybody loved him. Mm. And that was a big deal to me, you know, because, you know, who knew? And that's right. been my experience with that character. Now, get this. If you think about the death, they dug like this, and there's always something else going on. This is not just deaf. It's not like miracle worker or, you know, right? <laughs> and so I had that in that character. Now, if Disney knew I was doing an imitation of somebody challenged, they would know. I would have got, never got cast. They didn't know. And guess what? I didn't know. Hmm. I just accessed that kind of real character. And that was it. Wow. It's crazy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so interesting. I know that I based it on an art or a, a challenged person. 
But it's just like you talk about a little bit ago, just bringing that little bit of extra, you know, not just looking at that, you know, okay, he's got the big jaw, he looks kind of doofy, I'm going to give him a doofy, you know, you're looking a little farther than that, bringing something unique. Well, you know, you learn, you got to bring something to the party, because, you know, they'll ask for an archetype, like a, a, a dumb person, or an authoritative man, or a sleazebag, for a sleazebag, here's one, now, um, uh, Jack, do a sleazy character. Say, how how you doing? Hey, how you doing? It's pretty sleazy. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, Randy, do one. Hey, how you doing? Right. So we're all like this, you know. Sleazy. Yeah. Well, I had this guy that owed me money back in the day, and uh, his name was Jim Terry, and uh, I, I remember calling him and and saying, "Look, I I need that sixteen hundred bucks really bad," and he went, "Ah." But uh, I'm, I'm up to my ass and it's the man, my pool's got a crack. I'll call you later. And he was such a sleazy guy, but he talked <laughs> like this. He was out here on the West Coast, but he grew up in the New York. So he had a little bit of an accent, but that, uh, and so he's kind of got it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have a laugh. He had a pre-laugh. <laughs> like he'd shoot you in the knee, but he didn't want to. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> And so I made a mint on using that when they wanted a sleaze bag, because every you know other character cartoon has a sleaze bag. Sure. And he must have been in the car one day. One wait, wait, someone's doing my voice. That's me on that way, that McDonald's commercial. No, really, it is. It's me. So that's how I got him back. <laughs> incredible. That is absolutely kind of got kind of go the opposite of. The stereotype, I guess, yeah. most of the time. Well, what you do is they give you an archetype, what you're calling Jack a, a stereotype, right? Yeah. Or the way, you know, sleazebag. Well, I would do, this is stereotypical, right? Right. This kind of thing, like Randy did too. <laughs> but what they want is something a little unique, because even in those days, and I'm talking 30 years ago or 20 years ago, they wanted something unique, a little unique, a little off the nose. But fulfilling the archetype, well, I got hip to that. And that's why I got a career is because I thought, well, you know, I got to come in. I was the guy that they'd say, we want vanilla, 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 the producers to the casting person. Well, the casting person will take one cinnamon person. Mm. And so they play the tapes for the producer and they go, wait, what's that? Well, that's Pat Freddy in a sense. Well, he's the different flavor. Oh, we like that. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's really where I got a career. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Outside the box. Like yeah, Rob, you hear a bunch of the Rob same Rob thing and you that get that way. one with flavor. Yeah. And sudden it's like, oh. Yeah, Rob's that way. You know, it's not it's not on the nose. It's not dumb. It's like a London uh, you know, clash rhythm player, you know? Right. It's a little off the yeah. nose. Yeah. Something that the writer oh, probably wasn't even thinking about. Off the nose. Because you know. He's a high tenor. And so they tell, okay, uh, who's laying on the contract? We're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he, Rob would go, well, I am. Now, uh, back in the day, you got three characters for the price of one on a contract. Right. Right. The fourth was another contract. Well, Fred Wolf would never go for that. So Rob <laughs> was smart enough to know that he played like, uh, you know, a thug like this, which covers his high voice because he couldn't do this. He couldn't go down there like I could. So he fulfilled archetypes well, quickly, but in a higher tone. 
What a gift that is. Yeah. yeah. What a yeah, gift. Well, that is singing. He's spooky good at singing. Yeah. We didn't know yeah. that then, but my goodness, I hear him sing. <clears throat> I've heard him do the country song, the Bramium Romain, you know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, over and over again to my kids and around. And of course, <sighs> they loved him. He, you know, he'd drive up in a wine colored Porsche and he was like 140 pounds dripping wet. <laughs> <laughs> so really, I'd come out of the bedroom. They'd be on Saturday morning. They'd be in the den watching a cartoon. I go, hey, guys. And they go, Shh, Mr. Paulson is on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I go, well, was I on this morning? Yeah, you did that blah, blah, blah thing. <laughs> <laughs> what channel? Because every kid is on residual patrol. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that brings the question now. I mean, how long did it take your kids to, you know, finally realize how cool what you're doing actually is? Not to this day. What? Get Nothing out. cool about what I did. In fact, I teach, you know, all around the world with my home study courses, which right. are all available on padfreddy.com. It's all mm-hmm. there. And free oh, yeah. lessons and all that stuff. Padfreddy.com. There's everything there. Well, uh, the other day, one of my boys, Harrison, I call Usi. Usi, how you doing? He goes, yeah, I'm good. You selling me your crap? <laughs> I'm going... <laughs> You know, Master of Fine Arts, Cornell, six years of training, Australia, all this. And he calls it crap. Yeah. That's what it is. They don't care. Oh, my One's a musician. uh, Harrison is a fine artist, which is like, oh, my goodness. You know, you talk about acting being insecure. But he's selling (laughs) Another boy uh, is in the fine arts and does stuff. Uh, nothing to do with me. Nobody went into show business. Nobody cares. That's amazing. Uh, in fact, amazing. Uh, Jeremy, uh, my neighbor back in the day, I mentioned, I would bring this up, Ed Asner. Yes. So I'd yes. go over and he mentored me. You know, he, he'd, he'd uh, I'd start doing a commercial and he'd go, hey, talk like people talk. <laughs> then he burst into Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. Beautifully, perfectly. And, you know, because he got his reputation with his voice, by the way, when he was young. Yes. And he'd be in the middle and go, see, anybody can do that. And I'm thinking, oh, this is like Lou Grant swallowed John Gilgood. <laughs> <laughs> but he was simple about things and direct. You're going too fast. Slow down. You know? Right. And um, so he's next. And my boys would come over and play Airplane from with his Grammys. They didn't know. About when they were 12 years old, or one of them was 12, he came back mad at the house. He'd gone to Blockbusters, right? Remember when Blockbusters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he went, hey, Uncle Ed, he's an actor. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't know he was an actor. Oh, wow. The entire time they grew up, because he didn't talk about it. You know, actors don't when we get together, we tell stories about other actors and we do this and make each other, uh, or, uh, the other person tear with laughter. But when we're around our family or kids, nah. Right. And they obviously had never seen uh, Mary Tyler Moore up to that point either, right? <laughs> no. In fact, I had a cartoon, no, on camera show we'll call Off the Wall. It was like Mad TV, only better. <laughs> <laughs> Mad TV was better, better writers. 
So I did this comic or this strip show, right? We did Saturday Night Live scripts all the time. Right? And so my boy, my eldest, was very little at the time. And one day he went, Daddy, go in the bathroom. Go in the bathroom. And I didn't get it. Well, it turns out that when the opening show came on and he was sitting there with his mom and we we're going to watch him for a show, I, I went, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to pee. And so he thought I did the show from the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As I, I've seen on the shows, boy, I'll tell you, it looks like I did it in front of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Just a condenser mic in front of the toilet. Love yeah, really, they would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great acoustics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, we, we've got to touch on uh, your website, uh, patfraley.com, that you already had mentioned. But um, my God, what a wealth of knowledge on there. You know, you also you mentioned the home study courses that uh, you can uh, you can and they're very specific. I mean, there's some that seem to be like toward uh, like cartoon voices, uh, maybe public speaking. But the thing that yeah, really some are skills and some are like genres. Yes. And also, by how I mentioned, the free page, I've got a yes. free lessons. And I get students going, look, I went through this because look at, hey, who's got money? Right, I mean, right. it's COVID-19. Everybody wants money, including the government. Good luck. Right. And so I've always had that. In my context, I have my own personal cell phone number and my own email. Why? Because I'm available until I go to heaven. Then I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 amazing though. I believe in that free uh, list. The reading you were talking about Ed Asner doing a little bit earlier. Maybe it's not the same reading, but you do no. give, or is uh, it the same? Ed teaches with me once a year. I okay, get him, okay. I pick him. I have him picked up in a car and try to get a girl so he doesn't like. You know, he's horrible. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, get him in there, feed him, give him cash, and oh boy, he takes the cash. <laughs> <laughs> He just disappears into his in his pocket, right? And once I said, well, what was the difference? How did you get cast as Lou Grant in Mary Tyler Moore? And he told the story because he told me on my 41st birthday, I said, where were you when you were 44? And we were at home and he was in the backyard with me. He goes, well, I wasn't on my face, but I was on my knees. I'd had my best year the year before, 50,000. And then I was broke. And oh. then I got an audition for Mary Tyler Moore show. Well, I had him tell that story to my students. I don't think it exists anywhere else. You know, how he went about it. Then I also asked him later, and I think you're referring to this one, Jeremy, maybe. What was it like? What, what's the difference between the two Lou Grants that you played? The one that was in Mary Tyler Moore and the show that was Lou Grant, which was serious. And he went into an interesting way that he went about that so i've always been blessed by him and he's, i love right. him he's a dear friend it's it's uh it's an incredible uh, thing that you grew up next door to him but then you know got to learn and still you know work with him uh one of the things i saw on your website was the performing with the stars uh which features you know private sessions with not only yourself but scott brick rob paulson nancy cartwright Brad Garrett and Ed Asner. Yes. Um, you know, when we were starting this podcast, uh, I think we have referred to it and other people have as uh, the Wild West of podcasting at the time, 2012, 2013. There was not a lot of instruction for how to get behind a mic and podcast. So I was looking 
at a lot of voiceover stuff and uh, also taking some online courses uh, myself. I just wish I'd have known about your stuff because one, the amount of free information there and two, yeah. to think about what I did pay for, how much money I put toward it and how much effort I put into it. And then the instructor on the phone with me being like, yeah, yeah, just do it a little higher here and then you're good. Oh, all right. See you later. You know, I got your money. Yeah, yeah. Cool. You know what? I began as a performer, so I have a heart for money. Yeah. Because, you know, I was making a, a Cornell that gave me a living wage of $169 every two weeks. And then I finally got through school and got hired in the Cornell Rep and I, I made $169 every week. Well, I doubled my money. I was rich. <laughs> so, but, but Jeremy... You know, TV film narration is so valuable because it's yes. cheap to do, right? They don't have to mm -hmm. pay a lot of money. And I teach students how to own a narration, not just, you know, popcorn. That's how we make it at the carnival, you know, right? how you own it. Also, the, the performing with the stars, the way I work it is they hear the star play it, then they do their job then i put it together and mix it with the sound effects or music How then they cool, hear man. this is what you get because hey if you can be alongside with brad garrett in a spot yeah you're 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 cooking yeah yeah and so and you because there's only one way you can learn and that's by and i'm always going okay you just low energy compared to the is by failing that's how you right. learn Right. And then they get it back and they sound good and they're sort of they're encouraged. Right. Sure. They play with a sibling. Go, look, here I am with uh, Nancy Cartwright. She does bark. And you see, I left my situation not feeling encouraged and paid almost as much. So the value, I mean, the, you're learning from the best in the business. I cannot recommend people enough uh, who are interested to check out patfraley.com. We will definitely be putting that uh, on our website because, again, just a wealth of knowledge. Well, well I appreciate it. But uh, talking about encouragement, sure, you can get encouragement from your wife or your brother or stuff. But there's something about being encouraged by somebody who knows what they're doing. And I was taught in such a cruel way. I said to myself, look, you know what? I'll never teach this way because I'm in the learning business, not in the teaching business. Hmm. And you know that you're just talking to me. Right. I, I don't aggrandize myself. I don't do that. I don't, you know, because it's all about we're babies. Actors are babies. Writers are axe murderers. <laughs> okay. We need to be brought along, but we need to hear the truth uh, button love. You don't shine anybody on. It's, wor it's worse than being taught by somebody mean, but you don't have to be treated by someone mean ever if right. they're good. You know, right. Stella Adler was interesting lee strasberg he was he was a martinet he was taciturn and mean right you don't need it right amazing i gotta tell you one more story you can cut it out but no I think, um, tim allen was busy doing his series and i did nine years as buzz lightyear oh yes so you know you you talk about power you know, I could get a four-year-old to floss if I told, if Buzz Lightyear told him to floss, you know, kids, he would start flossing. So I, I, I'm at the hardware store in, in Studio City. I'm talking to, gosh, I think it's, I can't remember his name, Danny. No, Danny's the kid. Uh, I talked to one of the guys and he talks about his nephew's birthday party. I said, let uh, Buzz Lightyear call him. Okay. 
So I wait the next day. It's his birthday. I call and I go, hello, is this a space ranger, Annette? May I speak to, to Tony? It's Buzz Lightyear. So Tony, I mean, I'm used to kids not talking because they get so freaked, right? Right. right. They don't see me. They don't know. I go, hello, Spacer, you're Denny. This is Buzz Lightyear. And the phone goes dead. So I wait a while. I call back and somebody answers. And it's his mom, Annette, laughing. And she says, why? Why are you laughing? And she says, because Danny ran with the phone from the kitchen and tore it off the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, there's power. That's power. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's power. And what a great uh, Tim Allen, uh, Buzz Lightyear, you do. My God, like uh, I wasn't even aware that you were doing that until I did research. I mean, it sounds so fluent. Well, it turns out all middle-aged men who went to prison and did drugs roughly sound the same. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> to infinity <Yeah>. and residual. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. This has been amazing. Thank you, Pat. Thank Thank you. Anytime. All right. And there it was, our convo with Pat Fraley. Holy cow. What a cool guy he was. Just so uh, giving with uh, stories. You know, yeah. Sometimes when we have people like this on, like I think I said it in the interview, you know, we get very formulaic responses. Like, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll research these people by listening to other podcasts and other interviews. So when then we get them on and they drop the exact same response word for word, I'm not saying I'm ungrateful because I still love the story. But um, when you have someone on who gives you stuff you've never heard in all the other podcasts and interviews you were looking at, man, that's a good feeling. You feel privileged. That's a good feeling. Yeah, Yeah, that's a a great word, privilege. You feel privileged. I think it's not tooting our own horn, but that's just a good interview, I guess. I think so. Hopefully. I mean, I guess that's up to the listeners to decide, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I'd like to think so. Toot, toot. Toot, toot. Really quick. <laughs> There's tooting our own horn. There we go. Oh, boy. <laughs> a lot of effort for a little payoff. Canned air motto, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's all there's left to say. So, Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to candairpodcast.com where you can check out show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on our social media, become a patron, buy some merch, see some of our YouTube videos. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And once again, Twitter at candairpod, Instagram at canned underscore air. And, you know, a lot of the people that Pat was talking about on the show, uh, we've had on our show. Rob Mm -hmm. Paulson. Neil Ross. Neil Ross. uh, Phil Lamar. Townsend Coleman. They're all in the catalog. If you go to our website, the special Special guest page, easily found on there. So uh, check it out. Uh, Man, a lot of great conversations had with these people, not just with Pat, but all these amazing people. So uh, check that out. Really hope you enjoyed this and hope you enjoy those. And until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Dorn. And I'm Randy Erdbrook. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Okay, you did it better. (laughs) (laughs) No. Thanks so much for listening and always remember to be excellent to each other. puppy oh no don't run it'll only make things worse mutt 
Remember, you never want to approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Anything? Another thing that's really amazing. You look at Jack like, what do I do now? No, I just want to make sure I that they have the opportunity to ask a question before I go on because once I get going, I don't stop. <laughs> we got to kick them. And I've had yeah, other no, guests say, well, "Do the other two guys get to ask anything?" <laughs> so I make sure I make damn sure now to ask every time. Do you have a question yeah, before we move on? Yeah, you've been through it. We'll see uh, what, what the uh, listeners not knowing is. I can see you guys, so yeah. I know what's going on. <laughs> the behind me. the scenes preview, right? <laughs> Who cares? Did I say something? <laughs> This has been a Canned Air production. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly. And our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.